All right. Now, these verses, the verses we just read, are, are, are some of very, very many that testify that Jesus' arrival to earth was followed with miracles, real miracles. Now, in our day, so many words have been watered down. Last week, I talked to you about how hope has been watered down. You know, I hope I can make it. I hope I don't freeze to death on the way home. That's what I said yesterday. Um, and, and then we've done the same thing with the word miracle. We use miracle like this. We say, well, it was a miracle. I made it to that meeting. It'll take a miracle for me to finish this project with a good grade. You know, it'll take a miracle for me to make it through this marriage. Don't raise your hand and say amen. But you know how we use miracle. You know how we, we've watered it down. But, but miracle is way stronger than that. So I want to be sure we understand what I mean by miracle when I, when I speak on it today. Now, the dictionary definition of miracle is stronger for sure than it'll take a miracle to get me through this. It's defined as a surprising and welcome event that is, I like this, that is not explainable by natural or scientific laws. That's a miracle. Another dictionary says an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. Now notice, when it's a real miracle, something divine is at work. Or you don't have a miracle. C.S. Lewis called a miracle an interference with nature by a supernatural power. Now that's a miracle. Now the Bible definition of miracle is those acts that only God can perform, usually defying natural law. God made natural law. He can defy them anytime he wants to. And when you've got a miracle, natural law was defied. Or it wasn't a miracle. And we're about to see that. Now, sometimes the word miracle is translated into the word sign instead of miracle. And a sign is something that God uses to point to himself. You know, a sign is there to tell you where to go, how to get to a place. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find the museum. I'm trying to find that home. I'm trying to find that airport. And signs tell you how to get there. But when God does a miracle, it's a sign pointing up to him so that you will see the sign, see the miracle, and the only thing you can do is look up and say, that had to be God. It's a sign. So I put together my own little definition of miracle, and here it is with all these things, all these different uh, components. A supernatural, here's a miracle, a supernatural act of God that defies natural law and points to him as the one and only true God. Now, that's a miracle. Now, I'm glad to tell you today, our God is a God who defies natural law and does miracles, and he still does them today. He didn't stop doing them when the last apostle died or when the first century went away. He still does miracles. He still intervenes in human affairs, and he still defies natural law. I saw miracles in the first service. I'm preaching, and a, and a woman begins to shake and tremble in the presence of God who was lost. 
And she came down and she could not stop weeping. And she was transformed in front of my eyes. That was the divine intervention of God into human affairs. And she went back to the prayer room weeping and came out weeping. And I said, man, God's all over you. I know. So now that we understand what a miracle is, then the birth of Jesus is surrounded by just such miracles. And I'm just talking about the birth. I could go on about his life, his death, his resurrection, but I'm only talking about the birth because the birth is Christmas. So I'm talking about the first Christmas. And here's the bottom line. If you're really going to embrace what Christmas is really all about, then, then you've got to believe in several miracles. It's not about Santa Claus. It's about Jesus. It's not about happy holidays. I was at a restaurant last night with my three sisters and my mother, and this poor little waitress, she couldn't quit saying happy holidays. Finally, I said, Merry Christmas. And it was like I said something. I freaked her out. I hate happy holidays because it's, it's, it's getting Jesus out, and Jesus is all about it. And I, and I don't like political correctness at all. Now, the first miracles. Let me talk to you about some of the miracles surrounding Jesus' birth. The first miracle is an incredible one, and it's the miracle of fulfilled prophecy. Now, just so you can understand what prophecy is, let me tell you what it is so we can be clear. A prophecy, a Bible prophecy, is a prediction given by a prophet before an event occurs that is fulfilled to the tiniest letter. A prophecy is when a prophet predicts a future event and every comma and every period comes to pass with 100% accuracy. We serve a God who knows the end before the beginning of something begins. He stands at the end of something before it even starts and tells you how it's going to end. He tells you how it's going to begin, and then he tells you how it's going to end, and then he says, I told you so. All right? That's God. That's prophecy. Now, you have a lot of People going around in our day saying they're prophets. Nostradamus, he's so big with our secular culture. And I don't know why, because many of his prophecies have failed. But can I tell you something? That Bible in your hand doesn't have one failed prophecy. Not one. Let me just show you a few. Let me show you three prophecies surrounding his birth. That, that, that Really, it's miracle. It's a miracle because any fulfilled prophecy is a miracle. First, his birthplace. The prophet Micah wrote, 700 years before Jesus was born, this man Micah sat down with a pen, a quill, and Peter tells us the Spirit of God moved upon these holy men of old, and they were born along by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote what the Spirit moved them to write. The Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, who knows the end before the beginning begins, moved on these men. And here's Micah, and he starts writing, and he says, O Bethlehem, you are but a small Judean village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king, who is alive from everlasting ages past. Mm. I want you to catch something here. First, the birthplace clearly given. Now, if you say you're a prophet and you're going to go so far as to name the place, you better be right. 
Because if the place is not the place, you are immediately discredited and nobody's going to listen to you again. But he named the place. Now, the place was so tiny, so insignificant, so meaningless amongst all the other possible locations in the world that for him to name Bethlehem was amazing. One commentator says this, this prophecy eliminates all other cities and towns throughout the world as a place in which the Messiah could be born. It narrows the possibilities to one tiny village just south of Jerusalem. Bethlehem consisted in those days of only a few houses, maybe a store, no Walmart. And if you were to pick a place for the Messiah to be born, the Bethlehem would have been the last place you would have picked. But God chose Bethlehem, this little out-of-the-way place. So Micah put it all on the line. He put his credibility, his street cred, his prophecy cred right on the line. And, of course, it was fulfilled exactly like Micah predicted. Micah's prophecy also lets us know that this person that's going to be born in Bethlehem, he said this seven centuries before Jesus arrived. This man, this person who's going to be born is a, an eternal person, a supernatural person. Did you catch the end of it? He said, who is alive from everlasting ages past. He's telling us that Our planet was going to be invaded by a divine eternal personality via Bethlehem. This wasn't just going to be a normal man. This was going to be somebody reaching back to everlasting. Well, the Bible says, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So what are we being told here? That God was going to be born somehow, some way. I don't think Micah fully understood it. He just wrote as he was being moved on. But, but, but the, the, the fact would come out later that a divine personality would be born in Bethlehem. Fulfilled. Second prophecy is he would be called out of Egypt. Now, this is made by Hosea. And again, the reason I picked this is because he gave a name. He gave a town. He named the town. Micah, Bethlehem, Hosea said he's going to be called out of Egypt. My son, my king is going to be called out of Egypt, and he named it. I'm going to quote it, Isaiah 11, or I'm sorry, Hosea 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now, he put it all on the line right there. And Matthew in the New Testament records the very fulfillment of this prophecy. Watch this. And remember, seven centuries, 700 years before the event, he wrote this down. It says in Matthew 2.13, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And we know that Herod did indeed search for the baby Jesus to kill him. He slaughtered all the boys of Bethlehem, but he couldn't find Jesus because Joseph had been warned in a dream to take him, but not just take him anywhere, take him to Egypt, as Hosea said 700 years before. And later after Herod died, God again spoke to Joseph in a dream, telling him to return to Israel... At which point, Jesus was called out of Egypt. Just like the prophet said. 
And then there's a third prophecy. And we've already talked about this one, but I'm going to read it again. It said that Jesus would be born in the midst of great sorrow. Did you know that? That the coming of Messiah was accompanied with joy, but also great sorrow. He would be born in the midst of great sorrow. The prophet Jeremiah predicted in chapter 31, 15, a voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. We talked about this one at length when I spoke on Christmas tears. This was when Herod, trying to wipe out Jesus, moved by Satan to stop the rise of Messiah and his ministry, called for all the boys of Bethlehem to be slaughtered. But Jesus had been whisked off to Egypt and he was spared. But in the meantime, Rachel, representing the women of Israel who lost their boys, weeping for her children because they were not. So the birth of Jesus was surrounded with the miracle of fulfilled prophecies. Three right in a row where places were named, towns were named, impossible. The odds of that coming to pass in any normal, random way are impossible. So you look at it and you go, that had to be God. Let's try it again. That had to be God. Only God knows the end of something before its beginning even begins. God knew when you were going to be born. He knows when you're going to go to him. He knows what you're going to do in life. He knows your genetic makeup. He knows what his destiny for you is. He knows what he's called you to be and to do. He knows what you're going to say before you say it, where you're going to go before you go, and what what you're going to do with your life before you live it. He knows. We serve a mighty and an awesome God who knows the end from the beginning. Now, the second miracle surrounding Jesus' birth is the virgin birth. Now, here we're standing on holy ground. Because here's the prophet Isaiah, another prophet. We've heard from Micah. We've heard from Hosea. We've heard from Jeremiah. Now, here comes Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah made a startling prediction that at face value seemed absolutely bizarre preposterous, crazy. What, Isaiah? Because here's what he said. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Remember a sign, a miracle that will point you up. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. Stop right there. Did I read that right? Because a virgin can't conceive. Everybody agree with me here? And bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah, moved by the Holy Spirit, just wrote it down. Now, to the natural mind, this, this is crazy. How could this possibly be? It runs totally against natural law. A woman can't conceive without a man. And yet, Isaiah said, here's the sign. A virgin is going to conceive. When Kathy and I first moved to Fort Worth, I'll never forget this. Um, it was way back in around 91. We were watching, well, Christian TV. I'm putting that in quotes. And and, and there was a preacher preaching. And it was in one of the the really high-level churches of this city, a a very well-known popular church. And this preacher looked right in the camera, and he said, now we know Jesus wasn't really born of a virgin, And we know that he didn't really rise from the dead. I I stood back. 
for fear that lightning was going to hit the TV and I'd be too close. I said, Kathy, did you hear that? Did you hear what I heard? She said, I did. And, and, and we just, we, we were dumbstruck. And here the, the church was filled with business leaders and, and city politicians and, and a bunch of who's who's. And, and they, and, and here comes this guy, this, this minister. And he said this. And I thought, how sad, how tragic. My heart broke for all the people listening to him. Because, folks, let me tell you something. Christmas is a miracle. The coming of Jesus is a miracle. A virgin conceived. And the only reason you would deny that is because you really don't believe in God. Because if you believe in God, then you've got to know that that same God that made gravity can defy gravity. Jesus walked on water. Defying natural law. Jesus opened blind eyes, defying natural law. Jesus raised dead people, defying natural law. Jesus was a miracle worker. He, every, he went about everywhere, defying natural law. Say, Jeff, I don't believe in miracles. Well, if you believe in God, you believe in miracles. Because God can defy any natural law he made anytime he wants to. Let me tell you something. Get ready, because one day a trumpet's going to blow. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to defy natural law. <laughs> you're going up. Everybody say, I'm going up. And, and you can sit there on the way up going, I just don't believe in miracles. I don't believe in miracles. But you're going up, and it's going to defy natural law. I hear somebody going, wow, Mildred, where'd you bring me today? You're in church. You should have been hearing this a long time ago. Now, when Mary, it says, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, who was already betrothed to Mary Joseph and told her she would give birth to the Christ child. She asked what any reasonable person would ask. She said, how can this be since I am a virgin? And then the angel's response to her is stunning. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God, the begotten of God, his daddy was God. Who's your daddy? You say that to Jesus, he would tell you, not Joseph, God. Now, when it comes to spiritually speaking, I could ask you, who's your daddy? And you ought to be able to say, God, through Jesus Christ, he's my daddy. We have been adopted. Abba, Father. Amen? The angel Gabriel is echoing the prophecy of Isaiah and adding a little bit more information because Isaiah didn't tell us how this was going to happen. A virgin would conceive. But Gabriel tells Mary how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. That Greek word, overshadow, goes back to Genesis 1. It's the same word. The Holy Spirit was brooding over the face of the deep. And God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And what preceded all creation was the Holy Spirit brooding 
overshadowing a chaotic earth without form and void. And after the brooding of the Spirit, miracles of creation began to happen. He said, the Spirit, Mary, is going to overshadow you in the same way. And once he overshadows you, another miracle of creation is going to happen. You're going to conceive by the touch of the Holy Spirit a creative miracle. And it was fulfilled. Matthew records, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Say, Jeff, really? Yes, really. Same thing happens when you get born again. Holy Spirit convicts you. And you turn to Jesus. And what happens? The Holy Spirit overshadows you, and suddenly you receive a brand new nature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, and all has become new. It's the same thing. Anytime the Spirit broods or overshadows a person or a place, a crowd, anything, get ready because things are about to happen because it's preceded by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. That's the way we're saved. So Jesus being conceived in the womb was a creative miracle of God. And this had to happen because that means he didn't have Adam's fallen nature when he was born. It says we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. All of us were born sinners, but not Jesus because he didn't have an earthly daddy. God was his daddy. So he wasn't born with Adam's fallen nature. And that's the way it had to be or he couldn't have died for our sins as the spotless, stainless, pure son of God. So he had to be born with an unfallen nature. So God circumvented the Adam problem and said the way I'm going to get around it and the way I'm going to defeat it and the way I'm going to raise up Messiah is I'll be the daddy. This is Christianity in the raw. This is, this is where it gets down. Well, I never told this. I was just raised in church. Yeah. You should have heard this in church. Jesus wasn't born a sinner. So he could die for our sins. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a deal. He took my sin, my judgment, my curse, my death on himself. And in return, I got his righteousness, his life, his eternal life, his peace, his joy, his power. It was a tremendous trade. So the birth of Jesus was surrounded by the miracle of fulfilled divine prophecy and the miracle of the immaculate conception, the immaculate conception. But there's one more miracle. Here it is. God became a man. Now stop and listen with me. God became a man. God became one of us. Since Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and not an earthly father, God Almighty literally wrapped himself in human skin and became one of us via the vehicle of the Immaculate Conception. 
Listen to John 1, 1, which is one of the most profound verses in all the Bible. Listen to it. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. The Word, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word, Jesus, say it with me, was God. Really? Wow. I, didn't, I just thought he was a first century hippie type walking around in sandals with long hair and blue eyes saying neat things to people and loving everybody. No. Listen, God became a man. When Jesus looked at you, God was looking at you. When Jesus touched you, God was touching you. Can you imagine moms and dads raising a kid you never had to spank? Oh, some of you are going, give me a Jesus, give me a Jesus. He, he never had to be spanked. He never had to be corrected because he didn't lie. He didn't steal. He didn't rebel. Mary was envied by every mama in that neighborhood. He was never sent home from school. Take care of your son. No, no. Now, let me read. And the word, Jesus, became flesh. The word who was God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became one of us, a man, the God-man. Now, I can't explain this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. He was all man, all God, all God, all man. He was the God-man. If he stuck him with a pen, he bled, but he was God. Martin Luther wrote, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. I can't understand it. I don't have to understand it. I don't understand how a brown cow eats green grass that produces white milk that turns into yellow butter, but I'll drink that milk and I'll eat that butter. I don't care. I don't understand how the car starts, but I get out there and I start it and I go. I don't have to understand it. All I can tell you is God became a man. And in becoming a man, listen, he felt our pain. He witnessed our suffering. He wept with us, laughed with us, walked with us, talked with us, suffered for us, and died for us. Paul writes, listen, though he was God, You hear that? Paul, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up. Everybody say gave up. Look what he gave up. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross, incomprehensible. He was executed like put in the first century electric chair, the cross. Jesus gave up his heavenly position, his heavenly form, his heavenly bliss, his heavenly proximity to the Father, condescended to become one of us. He put an approachable face on God. 
God was scare, uh, scary in the Old Testament. Thunder, lightning, clouds coming down when he appeared. The people said, hey, Moses, go approach him for us. He terrifies us. But Jesus put a face on God. He said to Philip, what do you mean show you the Father? Philip, you've been following me for quite some time now. Don't you understand if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? You want to know what God looks like? Here's what God looks like. He looks like Jesus. Watch how Jesus loves people, heals people, delivers people. Watch how he conducts himself. Read the red ink in your Bible. Watch how Jesus conducts himself. Watch how he walks through life, how how selfless he was, how unselfish he was, how he always loved others above himself. Watch the way he reached out with compassion on those who could not help themselves. Watch the way he did not condemn the woman caught in adultery but forgave her. Watch the way he moved through human life. And you've seen the Father. You want to know what God looks like? He looks exactly like Jesus. He's the mirror reflection of Jesus, of God. Jesus is the mirror reflection of the Father. That's what God looks like, and I'm so glad for that. So here it is, miraculously fulfilled prophecies, the miraculous, immaculate conception, and the miracle of God becoming a man. Those are three irrefutable miracles surrounding Jesus' birth. And there are signs pointing to the God, pointing up, who so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Can we stand together today?